Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It's a true community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners receive frequent multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, and partner-only podcast content provided by the In The Money media team, as well as on-track and off-track hospitality experiences. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects, which we are able to talk about. They're available right now, including these two. Salevo, uh, named after the popular Saratoga restaurant. Street Sense Philly, who is bred to be fast and early, has some major European influence in her pedigree. She'll be headed to Ray Handel's barn in the spring. And a yet-to-be-named Tappert Colt, who looks and is bred to be a two-turn horse. His dad won the Belmont Stakes, and his dam was a speedy stakes performer out of a leading broodmare sire, that being Distorted Humor. The second dam was a stakes winner out of Arch. Further building upon the two-turn credentials, he will be headed to Christophe Clement's barn in the spring. Join the club for more information few different ways website adelphiracing.com email for more information matt at adelphiracing.com and social media on instagram at adelphi underscore racing and on twitter at adelphi club that's adelphi racing club be sure to check them out now on to episode 96 What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, December the 20th, 2021. This is episode 96 of the show, and it will be the last episode of the show for 2021. There will not be one the following week, the week between Christmas and New Year. I know we have opening day at Santa Anita, but you're going to be able to find content about that day a million different places. Uh, I will be back after January 1st into 2022. Uh, however you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find the show a million different spots. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen on YouTube, search bar, Matt Burner, your show. You get this episode along with the 95 prior. This week's show is going to be something similar to... So we're going to hit the, the rewind sort of button. Before I got involved in racing from a work standpoint or even before the TV show, or even really before contests for me. So we're going back a number of years. Horse Racing Nation, great website, if you've never checked it out, horseracingnation.com. They were running a, basically a user submission story kind of thing, where anyone could write a story, send it in, and if they felt it was good enough, they would upload it and it would be on the on the homepage. And I thought it was a really cool thing and I wanted to, you know, I was trying to get my foot in the door, trying to get somebody to notice or with anything. And I wrote an article about, and it was probably right around this time, close to the Eclipse Awards. Uh, you know, they're only going to be about a month or so away from now. But it, was, it had to be in this time frame because I wrote a story about the top 10 horses of the following year. 
So basically trying to not predict, but lay out reasons why these 10 horses were going to be the 10 best at this time next year. I'm going to do something similar to that here this time around. It's only going to be five horses, but I'm also going to lay out acknowledging that there are certain things going on with some of these horses that who knows where they're at as far as comebacks are concerned or injuries and layoffs and all those different sorts of things. But I'm going to lay out the five horses that I think could be the biggest players, the the biggest names that we talk about consistently when you talk about horse racing or you're involved in it. Who are the names that come to mind being the best? And it doesn't matter what division. It doesn't matter what distance, what surface, any of that kind of stuff. The five names that I think could very easily be the five, in the United States anyway, that we're talking about pretty consistently, regularly, this time next year. Either for year-end awards, or they won the Breeders' Cup, or they won this, that, and the other. Some of the names that aren't going to be part of this top five. Jack Christopher, Hot Rod Charlie, Corniche, Malathot, Mandaloon. Nixco. Nixco is kind of an obvious one because he's probably only going to run one more time before he retires. Uh, the others, though, they could easily work their way in. Heck, any one of them could end up being the best of the best. I don't have any of those listed as far as my five horses are concerned for this time next year that could end up being what I think. Maybe not even the best, but certainly the most talked about, the most polarizing for a number of different reasons. Five horses. We're going to take them right in order. Five through one. I think you're going to be pretty... Some are obvious. Maybe some are a little under the radar. I don't think there's going to be any shockers in this this group of five. But I'm very curious what your thoughts are about these five and who you think would fit into this category. And I'm including, you got to project forward what some of the two-year-olds could be next year as three-year-olds. Don't totally forget about them. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or over on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I'm projecting out the five names we're going to be talking about this time next year when we look back on 2022's racing calendar. Who are the five that you think, looking down the road? And no, there's no right or wrong answers necessarily. We'll find out in time. Just a fun exercise at the end of the year. It's a little quiet. Give me the five names you think that we could be looking back at this time next year and say, you know what? They were the five best in 2022. Let's get going with number five. Number five on the list for me. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see him in the Breeders' Cup, but I still think domestic spending is going to have a big, big future ahead of him. Now, if he wasn't going to be the favorite in the Breeders' Cup turf, he would have been a very close second choice, that being domestic spending. Unfortunately, he's forced to miss the race because he got a little bit of inflammation in one of his legs. This is a horse who has had his history of injury issues. So that's also kind of a caveat with a runner like this. But you know the hands that he's in are as good as anyone, with Chad Brown. And I think, forgive me for being, um, I don't know, maybe this is unkind. I, call me crazy. If he runs in the Breeders' Cup turf, I, no disrespect to Yabir, he's Yabir. Domestic spending's going to beat Yabir. I just, I... There's really no one that's going to convince me otherwise, and I could be wrong. We'll never know unless they show up at Keeneland next fall. But I, I, domestic spending would have won that race if he if he can get the distance, and that's still a bit of an unknown at a mile and a half. But 
to me, he was very clearly the best turf horse in the United States. He was one of, I would say, the best turf horses in the world at that kind of that middle ground, middle-ish distance, mile and a quarter. That really feels like his sweet spot, even if he ends up proving able to handle 12 furlongs. I think at his at his core, he's a really crack 9 to 10 furlong type. But I said the same thing about bricks and mortar, and I was wrong about that. He was able to get the mile and a half in a race like the turf. If this horse, if they can get him back to his best, he has as good a kick as any horse I think that we've seen in a, in a little while, especially in the bigger races. The interesting thing for domestic spending, and I'm going to do this for all the horses I kind of bring up here this afternoon, the, the map of what could potentially a, a campaign look like. That turf classic at Churchill Downs makes all the sense in the world. Now, I don't know if you bring him back there. Maybe he needs a prep beforehand. And if he needs a prep, so be it. I'm not going to get into that. But thinking big picture targets. Knowing his, I'm not going to call him ouchie, but knowing his history with injuries, I would venture a guess that you have a, a shorter campaign with him than maybe some of these other runners. The Turf Classic, I would think, is a an early target. I think the Manhattan at Belmont, the race that he won last year so impressively, I think that's a reasonable position to be in also, keeping in mind it's one month separated. Then maybe you give him a little bit of time off, and maybe the, the, the key for him, he loved that, or let's say he loved it. He didn't win the race, but I think he ran the best race in the Arlington Million last year. Now that that race is done, you have a void. Where is he going to go? That mile and a quarter at Arlington was a perfect position for him. I think, again, if it were me, I don't know jack about any of this stuff. I would think maybe you have to find out a little earlier than you would prefer about the mile and a half. And that may not be a bad thing either. I would then try maybe the sword dancer at Saratoga. If for whatever reason the mile and a half doesn't work for him, you at least now have time to regroup and say, all right, well, we're... If we're thinking Breeders' Cup, maybe we have to cut him back to a mile, which I personally think is a little sharp for him, but he could do it. From a talent standpoint, I have no question about that. So maybe you run him in the Sword Dancer. Wherever you run him beyond that, I think it's only once. I think you run him in the Sword Dancer at the end of August, and then from there, he's on the bench until the Breeders' Cup. Chad can get a horse trained up as good as anyone down the road. I would then think it's the turf, but if that mile and a half proves too testing, maybe you do end up in a race like the mile. Yeah, maybe a little on the on the swift side for him, but I think the talent is there. No one's ever going to argue the talent. The question is soundness. Is he going to be able to stay together? And to be fair, last year he was really fine all year until he wasn't at the very end, and it was a minor issue as opposed to what he had been sidelined with in the past. I don't know. I just think he's a really talented horse that, not that he's sliding under the radar some, but when the horses don't run in the Breeders' Cup, I think we are very quick to forget how good they were when they were on the track. And especially for him, considering he he didn't win a race after the Manhattan. I mean, we're going on six months, six plus months since he won a race. So I can understand there being a little bit of reluctance to sit here and say, well, how can you say he's going to be one of the best horses? He ran four four times last year, and he won two of them, or three of them, whatever it was. I just think from a quality standpoint, he is a quality, quality animal. And if you can get, whether it is a prep or 
any of that kind of stuff. And I haven't read anything. Who knows? Maybe the Pegasus is on the, the table. But I would think Turf Classic, Manhattan, Sword Dancer, Breeders' Cup. Preferably Turf, but the mile I don't think is totally out of the realm of possibility if for whatever reason he finds that mile and a half uh, a little too demanding. To me, domestic spending is very clearly one of the horses that if he can stay together and he runs his races, he's going to be one of the best horses next year. There's, I have very little doubt about that. Unless there's some turf monster that shows up, or if Charlie Appleby keeps sending all those Godolphin runners over, who knows? Maybe we end up getting a rivalry between he and Yabir, and maybe O'Brien sends some stuff over. But point being, as far as our domestic horses are concerned, I think domestic spending is very obviously one of the most talented runners that we have in training still. The beauty of domestic spending, and say what you will, more and more time goes by. The longer I'm in this game, probably just the longer I'm alive, the more I come to love geldings, because they're not going anywhere. I don't have to worry about all of a sudden they get a couple of big wins and they're going to be whisked off to the to the shed. As long as he's sound and he's performing and he's happy, they're going to keep running him. There's no reason not to. Domestic spending, he could. This might not even be a 2022 thing. This could be also be into 23 because I believe he's only four. I think this is a very good racehorse. Domestic spending, I've got him number five as far as my top five this time next year in 2022. Number four, totally different situation. We're talking about long distance on grass with domestic spending. This horse, short on dirt. Not that people have given up on this horse by any stretch of the imagination. That's I, I don't want that to be over overstated, but a horse who had been a machine Probably the most convincing winner in any division in any races throughout 2021. And then on the biggest stage, he throws in a clunker. And at face value, you look at it and go, what the hell happened to Jackie's Warrior? And then you find out that he's got a little bit of a chip and they need to go in and fix it. He also was down on the worst part of the racetrack at Del Mar. You know, you can draw up reasons why he didn't run his best. Especially, again, knowing that he underwent a surgery shortly thereafter it makes sense that he didn't fire. But you want to talk about a horse that was an absolute machine. He showed up and just, he didn't win. He decimated these fields. And he beat good horses. To me, if he comes back and he's healthy and he's close to what he was as a three-year-old, God forbid he improves. I mean, he's going to be the best sprinter again. Clearly, bar none. And I don't mean that, again, as a knock against Aloha West or Dr. Scheivel or Flagstaff, who, by the way, could have been on the list of those first horses I named at the top of the show that aren't included in here. For me, for Flagstaff, it has more to do with, A, you got to prove it, and B, I have no idea how many races he's going to run. He's run twice his entire career, three times his whole career, whatever it may be. Neither here nor there. Jackie's Warrior was, a, was a, just an absolute. He was that. He was a warrior. He showed up, and he raced effectively every month. They got him back to the one-turn races, and he was a monster. I like that he is, I think, as effective. He's a one-turn horse, period. Mile and an eighth. Let me rephrase that. Mile and eighth at Belmont wouldn't work. He's a one-turn horse from six to a mile. And I think that's a... It's not a rare commodity, but it makes... It gives Steve Aspison and company different options. So I don't know what his recovery looks like. I don't know how long it'll take for him to get back to the races. But I would think major targets for a horse like this. The Churchill Downs, at Churchill Downs, seven furlongs, feels beautiful for him. We know how well he ran in the Pat Day Mile. 
We know that Churchill in general is not a problem for him. I think that's a good starting off spot for major races. From there, you got about a five-week span, five to six weeks, the Met Mile. Belmont Park's not an issue for him. He won the one-turn, one-mile champagne there as a two-year-old. I think it could be a fascinating race depending on who's still in training and who decides to go where, but that feels like a great spot for him. The Vanderbilt at Saratoga, six furlongs over a track that he's blistered in the past. No reason you can't go there. The Forgo at seven-eighths at Saratoga, or if you want to give him a bit of a breather, let's say he runs in all three of those first races, the Churchill Downs, the Met, and the Vanderbilt. You punt on the Forgo, and then maybe it is purely nothing more than a means to an end. You bring him back in the Phoenix at Keeneland. Not only is it a prep race, but it happens to be at the track that the Breeders' Cup is going to be at. So kill two birds with one stone, and you have him ready to peak in the sprint just a few weeks later. Jackie's Warrior is still the best sprinter in my eyes. I don't think it's that close. And I don't mean that as a knock against Aloha West, who, by the way, Aloha West trainer, Wayne Catalano, Catman, has become my favorite follow on Twitter. If you are not following him, you need to do so now, and I'm going to look it up here, because he has uh, shown it's at Cat Racing Stable. He puts out his... The, the food that he's making, and it's just, I get a kick out of it every time. I don't know what it is. I love it. It's fun to watch. He gives his commentary in the midst of it. It's great stuff. So, again, no disrespect to Catman or Aloha West, who's a really good horse. I would actually like to see them try to stretch him out a little more, but that's another story for another day. I still think Jackie's Warrior's best is better than anyone else's best in that division. If he can come back and he's what he was as a three-year-old, and again, never mind if he improves as a four-year-old. Jackie's Warrior is going to be boss of the sprint division. And to me, a very reasonable schedule. Churchill Downs, Met Mile, Vanderbilt. Or maybe that's pushing it a bit. Maybe you end up going Churchill Downs, Met. Those are two big races consecutively. If you want to wait. Although the Vanderbilt's still two months later on. So maybe this does actually work. Churchill Downs, Met, Vanderbilt. Maybe a punt on the forego. Phoenix at Keeneland is a prep for the sprint, and he goes out there and does his job. Jackie's Warrior, number four for me on, let's call him the Big Five of 2022. Number three, you know, if there's a forgotten horse of these five, this may be the forgotten horse because he's been gone for a long time, but he's on the comeback trail. Now it's a matter of where does he show up for his comeback. Here we are toward the end of December. When you go back, let's say, eight months, who was the leader in the clubhouse for the Breeders' Cup Classic Division? You remember Mystic Guide? He just won the Dubai World Cup as impressively as he did. Then he came back, and his return to the races was the Suburban. It was over a wet track. Bad excuse because he ran well on a wet track down at Oaklawn over the winter. I think it had more to do with where he was positioned on the racetrack that day. And then on top of that, we find out that he ended up coming out and he had a chip and they needed to take care of it. Well, he is on the comeback trail. And it sounds like some sort of a prep at Oaklawn or the fairgrounds, or I say a prep, a return, uh, is due in January, maybe early Feb. He becomes a horse that, in a division that now that we take out life is, excuse me, we take out Nick's go, maybe end up taking out life is good, depending on how things play out. 
you know, you have no essential quality. We understand, unfortunately, no Medina spirit. Uh, some of the other big names in that division have gone, and it was already a relatively, I'm not going to say subpar, but it was it was a, a bit of a weaker group on the whole. You got Hot Rod Charlie now. You've got Mandaloon potentially. You've got a couple of these other horses. A Mystic Guide would be a welcome addition to that group if he comes back and can be what he was when we last saw him at his best, which was the race over in Dubai. Now, I read a story over on Horse Racing Nation that uh, Mike Stidham suggested there was a possible chance that he runs in a race like the Dubai World Cup, but the big goal for him this year is a grade one in the United States, which makes me very happy. So if you bring him back in a race at Oaklawn or at the fairgrounds, whatever it may be, you could run him in Dubai, but he's already done that, and I understand the connections and why he would or why they would be inclined to go back and do that. A lot of money, the home team, X, Y, and Z. makes all the sense in the world, but if your true big goal is a grade one in the U.S., maybe that's not the best move for a horse like this. Uh, at the same time, I don't know what race you would slot into that kind of time frame because the way that I've looked at it, he's a proper distance horse. He's not really a mile and a 16th type. Yeah, he can do it because he's that talented, but he's really a, a 10 furlong type, if not longer. So if you don't run in Dubai at the end of March, I don't know where you run him. I don't know what race slots in there. You're a comeback at Oaklawn or the fairgrounds, depending on when it is, would make a turnaround for a race like the Santa Anita Handicap pretty quick, beginning of March. I was thinking more Hollywood Gold Cup, end of May, mile and a quarter. You run in that spot. You have an option to bring him back in the Suburban if you want. I would think if the grade one is the goal, and the money is not the end-all, be-all. The Hollywood Gold Cup's a grade one. You then, whether he wins or loses, you get him ready to go for the Whitney at Saratoga, grade one. Win or lose that race, you get him ready, or he will be ready, because only about five weeks later or four weeks later, you've got the Jockey Club Gold Cup on closing weekend at Saratoga at a mile and a quarter. Right up his alley, and then I would put him away until the Breeders' Cup Classic and bring him back mile and a quarter down at Keeneland. I think that's very reasonable expectation for a horse like Mystic Guide, given the distances. The fact that he wants every bit of 10. I know the Whitney is not a 10 for a long race, but the, his penchant for excelling at a mile and a quarter, it doesn't write your script for you, but it makes it pretty pretty clear you don't it's not as though you have a number of different options to look for longer distance races that are of the grade one caliber you're not going to take a path like brad cox did with nicks go to prairie meadows and i don't mean that as a knock to prairie meadows i mean at a mile and a quarter in a grade one race they don't have that grade one mile and a quarter you've got the sanity and the handicap which i've already laid out i think the timing could be a little bit funny depending on when he were to come back down south you could send him over to dubai he's already won that race though the hollywood gold cup makes sense grade one mile and a quarter the whitney absolutely makes sense arguably the most prestigious race in the u.s the jockey club gold cup is i mean you you could really truly argue is the ideal race for him if not the breeders cup classic so mystic guides a horse that i 
you talk about, you know, we are all about recency and what have you done for me lately, this, that, and the other. Don't forget how good he was. That Suburban, I think, has has sullied a little bit of our our feeling toward him or feelings about him because not only did he run poorly, but you see the horses that he ran against. Max Player didn't run well when he was really tested in the Classic. Uh, you know, Happy Saver never really improved at all. He, he didn't really run against a great group, but he couldn't get the job done. He was injured. He was not right. I'm giving him a mulligan. His best, I think, is pretty damn good. And if he can come back and be close to that form that we saw, whether it was the Dubai form or the form down at Oakland over the winter, Mystic Guide has every right to be one of the best horses in training, period. Never mind the Classic Division, which I think is pretty desperately in need of another big name. And who knows, the three-year-olds, they're always going to be the, the wild cards in a classic division or a distaff division or any of those because you just don't know how they're going to progress. And it could be horses that haven't even started in a race yet that could be the best three-year-olds at that time, at Breeders' Cup time next year. Mystic Guy, though, we know his best, his fastball, he throws 98. He's got, he's got the heat that can get up there and run with anyone. And... And at his preferred distance, which you can't say about most of the horses these days. Mystic Guide's number three for me. I think he's a horse that you, if you had forgotten about him or you forgot how impressive some of his races have been, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look. I, th I think this is a horse that if they can keep him going, he has every right to be a major player and one of the most talked about horses that we have in training period in 2022. I have him number three. Behind number two who is, Mystic Guide may have been the forgotten horse. This horse is going to be the most polarizing horse in 2022, assuming she improves. If she doesn't improve, I don't know how polarizing she'll be. She'll be a fan favorite and she'll be talked about plenty. If she improves, that's when things get a little bit, you know, a little more interesting for Echo Zulu. The Echo Zulu story can go a few different ways here. We've already seen that she's one of the fastest two-year-old fillies of the past, you name how many years. We know that two turns isn't an issue. We know that she can ship. We know she's in good hands with Steve Asmussen. The, the reason I say it can go a few different ways, specifically two, though, either she plateaus or she improves. If she plateaus, she's not really all that polarizing. She's a very talented filly. She's going to be among the favorites to win the Kentucky Oaks and any of the big grade ones for the girls in 2022. She'll still be talked about a lot, but she won't have, she won't be the, you know, the fire starter. If she improves, that's when you're going to start to get all sorts of different stuff. And she's going to become the hot button topic in all of racing. You, you mark my words. If she improves, and I don't mean by a little bit, although that may be all she needs to improve. She earned a 94 buyer in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies in November as a two-year-old at Del Mar going two turns. It's not inconceivable that she jumps up 10 points if she improves. So I'm not even going to get into what pass she takes to get to the Kentucky Oaks, but let's just assume it's through the fairgrounds. You know, Silver Bullet Day, Rachel Alexandra, Fairgrounds Oaks, something like that. And maybe it's not even all three of them. But let's say she jumps up 10 points to a 104. 
Do you know how many three-year-old males over the past handful of years have struggled to crack a triple-digit buyer? And many of them don't do it until the summer. If she's earning 104s or mid-100s or even low-100s, I'm not someone who is way against the idea of the girls taking on the boys. Happens in Europe all the time. I know a lot of that has to do with weight, you know, allowances and things like that. But guess what? There are allowances here in the States too. And if if they're that good, let them run in whatever race. I don't care. I I don't think the Derby is one that, in you know, front and center would be the one that I'd be thinking of. I would be thinking, get us through, get us into the summer. Go through the Oaks path, win the Oaks. From there, I would go to the Acorn, one-turn mile at Belmont. Probably blow the doors off that field, especially if she wins the Oaks. Probably be a field of five. Get another grade one. You're already going to win three-year-old Philly. Then you've got the decision to make, I think, at that point. A lot of it will depend on what the three-year-old boys look like. But I would think it's going to be very similar to what we saw with Untappable a few years ago where they finally chose to, to try the boys in the Haskell. Now, it didn't work for her, a few different reasons, but it just didn't work, and then they went back to taking on the girls. With this filly, if she's in raging form and she's running figs every bit as fast, if not faster than the boys, I can see the Haskell being the test. If she gets through that, then you really have questions. Do you want to run her again over the summer? And if so, what race do you run her in? I don't think it would do you really any good to go back to the Alabama and take on the girls if you've just won the Haskell. Mile and a quarter, maybe that's the only question you're going to answer at that point. But then wouldn't you be better suited to run in the Travers at that point? Because not only could you answer the 10 for a long question, but if you were to win the Oaks, the Haskell, and the Travers... I don't care what she does the rest of the year. You, you, you're you a finalist for Horse of the Year, no question about it, and you're probably the leader for the for the award. Or do you bypass those Saratoga races entirely? You point to Parks. You look at the Cotillion or the Pennsylvania Derby. Again, same logic. If she's run in the Haskell and she beat the boys, I don't really see, other than money, the benefit of going to the Cotillion. The Pennsylvania Derby, though, still a grade one, Against boys, mile and an eighth, no questions. You're still building a horse of the year campaign. And then you really have the question after that. Do you go in the dist after the classic? The classic first time to a distance of 10 furlongs, that would be interesting. Um, I still think if she ran in the dist, in a weird way, I would actually prefer three-year-old boys in the Haskell, three-year-old boys in the Pennsylvania Derby, dist staff against the girls rather than classic against anybody. And again, this is getting way, way ahead. But she's she's on a on a path if she improves. That is it's gonna make it very difficult for everyone involved to not they're probably already thinking of these things, honestly. And I know publicly nobody would say it, but internally you don't typically see two-year-olds, fillies, run the way that she has and win with the ease that she has in the times that she's won in. I would, I would be stunned if there haven't been maybe not full-blown sit-down conversations between all parties involved. But 
it's at least had to have come up at some point. The possibility of, hey, look, if she doesn't improve, we got one way to go. We're going to just try to roll through the three-year-old Phillies throughout the entire year, and the distaff is the goal. But what if she improves? Because if she improves, I mean, you're very clearly the best girl. And that's even going, going back to last week's show. For those of you that didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. You know, there will be other Phillies that improve. And, and maybe they don't totally catch her, but they're going to narrow the gap even if she improves. But if she improves, man, she's already arguably the fastest two-year-old, period. Male or female. If she improves and she, let's say she jumps up 10 points. And she gets up into the mid-100 range. That's going to be tough to not think bigger. The only other thing I'll, I'll throw out there is this. I still believe the Oaks should be the goal. No questions. If she goes to the Oaks, again, we're still getting way ahead. She goes to the Oaks, she romps, earns a big fig. I know we're talking about an all-time three-year-old. Rachel Alexandra won the Oaks in romp. They wheeled her back in two weeks and she won the Preakness. And that kick-started that historic three-year-old campaign. And it's she's a name that will live on in history. I don't want to... It's not fair to echo Zulu to make that comparison. She's already ahead of her for what she's accomplished as a two-year-old. Just throwing that out there. Think about that. By the way, who campaigned Rachel Alexandra? At that point, anyway. Steve Asmussen. Something to think about. She'll be the most polarizing horse. I have little doubt about that. Uh, she, I could see her being horse of the year. I could see her being champion three-year-old filly. I could see her not improving one step and not even being the best three-year-old filly next year. But at this point right now, it's hard not to think of what could be with her. More so, arguably, than any other horse in training. I don't think she'd end up being horse of the year next year. But it I shouldn't say that. It depends on what she does and what she accomplishes. From a talent standpoint, I have no... There's not going to be anybody that can convince me otherwise. The horse that I've got number one, or I think will be number one in 2022 is the horse that I think was the best horse, period, in 2021. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. To me, he is the most talented horse in training, period, bar none. This includes Nick's Go. This includes Jackie's Warrior. includes everyone I just chatted about. He has, I think he's a special talent. He's been able to do things that are very uncommon, when I say uncommon, I mean that in a, in a good way. For him to earn the figs that he did early on as a three-year-old, put him in rarefied air, and it's a lot of the same stuff I was just chatting about with Echo Zulu and what makes that such an exciting prospect. Life is Good earned a 107 in the San Felipe. That was his last start out in Southern California with Baffert. You could see him drifting out down the lane. I, I made note of it that day when it happened. We were doing a, an America's Best Racing live stream. I said, that's not, Baffert's horses are usually straight and true. For him to be drifting out a little bit, I think something might be off. Sure enough, 
He's sidelined for a while. We all know all the other stuff that happened. He sent out east to, to Pletcher's barn. The most impressive race he's ever run was the Jerkins. I, I mean, for him to outfoot the best sprinter off of the layoff and just get nipped late in his first start in six months, I mean, that to me, there's no question. That was the best race of his career so far. The Kelso was a mere formality, and the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile finally getting back out to two turns, and that's why I say another reason the Jerkins, to me, was the best race of his life. I don't think he's a one-turn horse. I think he's a two-turn horse at heart. I think he can do one. I think he's better at two. The Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, he just romped. I think this is an exceptional talent. The Pegasus World Cup, we all know. We, it looks like that showdown, knock on wood. Everybody stays sound. We get the showdown between Nick's go and life is good. In my opinion, and I don't mean this, no disrespect to anybody involved with Nick's go, I don't think it's close. I think life is good is a far superior talent to Nick's go for a few reasons. The whole, I've talked about it a million times, but what happens when Nick's go gets looked in the eye? Well, well, nobody's fast enough to do that in the Breeders' Cup Classic. A, B, S, B. That's still... That's a very legitimate possibility in this race. I'd even take it another step and say it's a likely scenario. Life is good has never been behind anyone. So you can say the same thing about him, to be fair. What happens when he doesn't get the lead? I don't think that's going to be the case, though. I think life is good is going to get Nick's go early on, and I think he's going to put the boots to him. From there, that's when things can get interesting. Assuming he stays in training and they don't retire him, you could look at the Dubai World Cup. Now mile and a quarter who knows based on the way he runs I don't think that's a problem but you never know until they do it if you didn't want to go there maybe you want to give him some time you'd need to find another race though in that intermediate time frame I think the Met Mile is on the table the Whitney is certainly on the table at a mile and an eighth the Kelso is a prep for the Breeders' Cup Classic I don't really love that one turn mile the one turn mile and an eighth of the woodward i'm okay with that i think that'd be a, a fine option we know that he can handle a one turn race again i think he's better at two but he can do the one turn and then you wrap it up with the breeders cup classic i'm not expecting him to all of a sudden jump up into the 120 range he has a career best fire of 109 it is slower than anything nicks goes ever earned but I think there's more there. That's my opinion. I don't know that for certain. Assuming I get the price, I'll certainly bet on it. I think life is good as the best horse. Was the best horse in 2021. I think he will be the best horse in 2022. We'll find out. Maybe he does get looked in the eye and he, he doesn't want to go on with it. Wouldn't that be something if the two of them ended up both being kind of, uh, I don't know. They don't, they don't really look for a confrontation. And maybe they look each other in the eye and then somebody else in the Pegasus takes advantage and goes and gets them. Seems like an unlikely scenario, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. I think this horse is an exceptional talent. I think the top two are exceptional talents. Life is good and Echo Zulu. I, I think they, they're not going to run parallel paths because we're dealing with you know apples to oranges. But I, I, just, I, I think life is good is a talent that it reminds me a little bit of shared belief in that you can do things, American Pharaoh even, you can do things and win despite them not actually being what you want to do. Shared belief, 
Won the Malibu at seven-eighths of a mile. He won the Pacific Classic at a mile and a quarter on synth. American Pharaoh, he won going short. He won the grade one uh, Del Mar Futurity. Granted, second start of his career, I get it. They're two-year-olds. But point being, he probably wanted to go longer. He was a true route type. Life is good. He's only been out to a mile and a 16th once, and I think he wants at least a mile and an eighth, if not more. We'll find out. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube if you're watching or if you're listening on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. This is my top five of 2022. Not 2021, 2022. Let me know what you think about this list. Let me know about your five or anyone that I omitted. Maybe I missed them. Maybe I intentionally overlooked them, but let me know who you like and the reasons why. That's the most important part for me. It's not so much whether we're right or wrong. It's too, again, too result-driven. Give me the rationale, the logic behind why you feel the way you do about some of these horses that I've mentioned or perhaps some that I haven't mentioned that you believe could very easily be in this position at this time next year. Uh, It's been a hell of a year. It's been a wild year in horse racing in 2021. I hope all of you have had good luck this year. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have comments, questions, thoughts on how the show can improve in 2022, again, leave them in the comment section beneath the video player or on Twitter. Shoot me a note, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I'm all ears, always willing to try different things if people think something can be done better. I appreciate all the support. Please rate, review, and subscribe for everything that I do and that In The Money Media produces. Uh, Thanks to everyone who has helped along the way with all this jazz. Enjoy the holidays. Be safe. Don't do anything stupid, or too stupid anyway. Enjoy opening day at Santa Anita. Hopefully you have some good luck. Uh, I will be back after January 1st. The show will be back in early 2022. So we inch closer and closer to episode number 100. Until then, enjoy the holidays. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 96 of the Matt Bernier Show.